She loves me. Not me personally, like as in Pat, who's loved me for almost 40 years. Miraculously, she's not talking and she's masked up. <laughs> she loves me as a musical being presented uh, at ULM. And our uh, Justin is the director and Debbie is the conductor. Many of our choral scholars will be a part of that. Uh, it'll be Thursday at 7.30. If you want any more information about the musical, please contact one of the, they're all musical, but theatrically inclined and musically inclined. And four, four, pardon? Four shows, four shows, four. Four opportunities for you to enjoy this musical. Well, on the bulletin, it says that this is a time for welcome. And we might ask ourselves, who is welcoming whom? Um, God is the one who is welcoming us. We, we may voice the welcome, but it's God who's welcoming. God calls us to worship. God is the object of our worship. God is the beginning and the end of our worship. Worship is saying yes to God. So in God's name, for God's sake, for God's people, let us be called to worship using the words that you'll find in your bulletin. We come to a place of grace and mercy. We have returned home. We come here acknowledging and owning the truth that we are children of God, a loving, compassionate God, but that we are flawed human beings seeking the solace of God's welcoming, loving, and forgiving embrace. Here we open ourselves to the teaching of our God who instructs us in the way we should go, who counsels with eyes upon us. Let us worship God.
reading from the book of Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt, and so that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. The word of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
Let us pray. O God of love and tender mercy, in the name of that love, we fall upon your tender mercies. We have sinned against you, your people, your world. We have sinned by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We do not deserve your forgiveness, but we ache to be restored to your favor. Forgive us and help us to forgive others. Save us from the sin which tears our world apart and reduces life to ruins. O oh God, bring us back home. Your all-welcoming love, bring us home. And let the people say, Amen. seated during the gospel. That's not our custom. Our custom is to stand. But the gospel's kind of long because the story is kind of complex and I want you to hear the whole story. Someone said it is a nod to the age of our congregation, which is probably true. I have a hard time standing up and listening at the same time. So listen to the word of God as it is written here in the gospel of uh, Luke 15. First three verses, then the last part of the 11th, and then through the 32nd. Am I supposed to let you go? Oh, no. Okay, good. <laughs> I would have done something wrong. Just wait, I'll do something wrong later. <laughs> now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. There was a man who had two sons. The, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute 
living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him, and then the son said to the, him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quick, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the elder son was in the field when he came and approached the house. He heard music and dancing. He called out to one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours has come back who devoured his property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Lent is not usually... This is where the response goes. <laughs> That's what it was. I'm so sorry. You go ahead. <laughs> I'll pick it up. We appreciate everyone who's come out for the rehearsal for worship. <laughs> you know how rehearsals go. This was the dress rehearsal, so it's even worse. Now, let's go back to Lent and let's think about it. We don't think about it in terms of noisy celebrations. It's more about fasting and feasting. And yet smack dab in the middle of Lent, smack dab in the middle of the gospel reading this morning, You've got a loud party with music and dancing and scrumptious food. 
Pretty strange for such a feast during the season of fasting. Yet the Lenten dimension becomes very clear when you look at the reason for the celebration. A sorry, no good for nothing, ingrate, self-destructive, loser of a child comes home. Stop right there. Are you kidding? It should be a come to Jesus moment for this kid, not a come to the party moment. Well, the kid does experience a come to Jesus moment during an intervention populated by pigs. You see the pigs sitting around on the couch and the lead pig saying, I've been here for a few days and these people just love you like crazy. It's tough when you're a Jewish boy and it takes unclean animals to clean you up. This is a classic of a story. If the parables of Jesus were a top 10 list, this one would be in the top two or three with a bullet. We all know the story, or at least we think we do. Most of the impressions of the story revolve around the younger son's descent into decadence. This eponymous indulger of life's sleaziest enticements. In fact, it strikes me that many preachers over the years have emphasized the implied sensuousness of the story, giving them a good chance to get body in the pulpit, you know, and relish the image of red-lipped, voluptuous vixens in a far-off country. In truth, the sin of the son was not a sin of the flesh was a sin of the spirit. The young son's sin was murdering his father. You see, that's the effect of demanding your inheritance while your father was still alive. Mosaic law gave a double portion, two-thirds perhaps of the state, to the older brother, regardless but the younger brother got the rest approximately a third. Sorry, daughters and wife, some man would have to take care of you if you were lucky. That's injustice indeed, and a subject for another sermon. So taking your portion early meant you treated your father as though he were dead. Dead to you, no longer in your life, the wickedness was in the greed and the injury to the father and the family. What if the son had gone off and made a killing off of killing his father? What if he had invested wisely, increased his wealth and standing in the community? He would still be a prodigal son since prodigal means wasteful. And even a rich younger son would have wasted his relationship with his father and family. But fortunately for the younger son, he was not good with money. I doubt that a successful first century entrepreneur would have been forced to come to himself. More than likely, he would have continued to accrue his dirty money and never look back to reflect on the ruthlessness of his acquisition of wealth. The young man in our story did look back and recognized his folly. And yet the story is not only about the younger son who always gets the top billing. 
In fact, many times we stop reading the parable on the celebrative note of the son's return. Now, for the rest of the story. The older brother watches the father's action and the subsequent celebrations from afar. He also is prodigal in that he's wasting the love lavished by the father. Ultimately, the parable is not about the sin of one son or both sons. It's a par- not a parable about dysfunctional family dynamics. It's a parable about grace. Instead of the parable of the prodigal son, it might better be named the pre- parable of the father's grace. From my seminary days, I remember a definition of grace that stuck with me. Grace is undeserved merit. Maybe we would call this the parable of undeserved merit. Deserve. Deserved. Deserving. We hear these words bandied about so frequently. You deserve this. I deserve that. Get what you deserve. Go ahead, you deserve it. Get the fill in the blank you deserve. Get the relationship you deserve, the lifestyle you deserve. You deserve the very best. You're not getting what you deserve. You deserve better, the best. You deserve more, the most. Or on the opposite side, oh, oh, he deserved that. She deserved it. They got what they deserved. I don't feel sorry for them. They deserved what they had coming to them. Now hear this. Hear the good news. Whether you're waiting for the windfall you deserve to make your dreams come true, or waiting for the axe you deserve to fall and slice your life apart, God's realm is not a meritocracy. With God, you don't get what you deserve. In the immortal words of the immortal poet, Mick Jagger, which we have set to music, and here I'll be accompanied by the choir, just like we rehearsed. No, you can't always get what you want. Sing it with me. You can't always get, I'm just chanting it, so I I can't carry a tune. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometime, you might just find you get what you need. Thank you. (laughs) Undeserved merit. That's what we need. In God's realm, reign, kingdom, we don't get what we deserve. And that's good news for younger and older children of God like us. It was good news for the younger son that day. He deserved to be locked out of the family and community. His declaration of the virtual death of his father was unforgivable until it wasn't. Until Grace reared her gorgeous head. He had hit mud bottom and was little more than a slob in the slop. He didn't need to be brought to his knees by persuasive preaching. He was already there. He didn't need to be told he didn't deserve to be a son. He begged only for servitude. The father could have given the young son what he deserved. 
saying, Your act declared me dead to you, and dead I shall remain. I wouldn't even take you on as a servant. You wanted to be on your own? Took all that generous portion of what I owned? So be it. Get out of my sight. I have only one son, one decent, deserving son. And that might have been the kind of story the listeners to Jesus might have expected. The parable could have been a cautionary tale about keeping in your lane and keeping your nose clean. But the story is not a morality play about who deserves what and why. It's not the formula for a successful family dynamic. The story is about not getting what you deserve. The young son did not deserve the father's embrace. He deserved the father's back turned to him with arms crossed unflinching. He didn't deserve the best robe but rags. He didn't deserve a ring on his finger, but a slave's ring of bondage through his nose. He he didn't deserve the shoes on his feet. He deserved to be barefoot in the dirt. He didn't deserve a feast with the finest food and festivity. He deserved nothing of the sort. Then the boy, who had done everything wrong, did something right. He embraced his father's embrace. He accepted what he did not deserve. He accepted his acceptance. So if you are out there feeling like you've only been getting what you deserve and all you deserve is the jagged edges of broken promises or the emptiness of lost opportunities to love, or the isolation of a life lived in self-obsessed selfishness. No, this, there is a place of grace for you. Northminster Church is such a place. We believe all are welcome in God's loving embrace, and that the church is only the church when we offer such welcoming embrace. In other words, we don't do judgment here because of your past We let God take care of that. We welcome you here because you are welcome to God's grace. Northminster is a place where we practice and teach grace. Grace to yourself, grace to others. So all you sons and daughters and others are welcome here. But what about the older brothers and sisters? In the story, the older brother saw his younger brother did not get what he deserved, and that infuriated his self-righteous senses. The younger son came to the father, but the father came to the older son. The father left the party in process to find the older brother and invite him in. Getting what you deserve had a very different meaning for the older son. He let his father know how good he had been and how much he had worked and how he'd always stayed true to the family and done his duty faithfully and said, yet this ingrate son comes prancing back and you plant a wingding for him. I never got a barbecue of this magnitude. What about me? Don't I deserve more? The father doesn't disagree with the older son's assessment of his hard labor. Nor does he try to justify the perceived injustice. He merely points out that 
The older son has always been with him and has always been appreciated. But this turnaround of his younger brother is a cause for utmost joy. You can find more than enough elder brothers and sisters out there who are waiting for others to fail. Rubbernecking old gossips, they're called in the novel Elmer Gantry. Puritans, Pharisees, self-appointed citizens against moral turpitude. These folks would rather be right than real. They're indeed good. Trouble is, they're good for nothing but themselves. And when they're in a church, they bring dis-ease and division. Do you find yourself ever standing in the older son's sandals? Do you ever decry the unfairness of life when you've done so much and get so little in return? Do you resent the celebration of others who you think are less deserving than you? Do you disparage a God who seems to leave no virtue unpunished? God's word to you is the same as the father's to the older son. Relax. God's got this. And well, God will forgive your sin of trusting your own good deeds more than God's grace. You make a graven image of your own righteousness and you worship devotedly, but God is gracious and forgives idolatry as well as adultery. Remarkably, the younger brother, guilty of greed, wanton dissipation, is seen as the repentant. He turns around. He comes home, whereas the old righteous brother is left to decide whether to accept grace or not. The story, as it is written, is left open to the first listeners. Poet Killian MacDonald describes the older son's response to his father like this. So he's back. Stud the magnificent himself, him whom you love. You put rings on his fingers, cloak him in silk, kill the grain-fed calf, call in the flute so he nights away the defiances of the day, dances deceit to your tambourines. Himself only brings pain. And you could not wait to be deceived. You expect it, bow beneath the blow. Yet again, and you weep. This idiocy of love is tacky. I fetch and carry, wait to be chosen, reschedule my life for you. No coat of many colors, no gold on my fingers, no sandals for my feet, no fatted calf to bleed for me, no harp to pluck for joy. This son has yet to dance with friends around even a pot of goat stew. Him you have loved, him. The poem has one more line. What do you think that line is? What would the older brother do? His younger brother arose and went to his father. Will the older brother relent and go with his father? What would those first listeners do? What would you do? I know it is Lent and fasting is more featured than feasting. But how you answer the question before the older brother will mean the difference 
between reveling in the joy of the party at God's place or being left out in the lonely cold of your own conceit. The theme of the party is coming home. Home from a long distance or home from a short distance. Home in God's extravagant love. None of us really deserve to be invited in the front door or the back door. But by God's grace, we're all invited to the party called home. Don't be left out. Let's party at God's place. Amen.
this cup 